Divchina, hello, Divchina, hello. There she is. Hi. Hey. Oh, hi. I can see you. Hi, Gigi. Nice to meet you. It's good to meet you. I'm about to leave for a second. Yeah, she's going <laughs> to pop out to feed her husband. Can you believe it? The only reason I am not bitching about this right now as like a sexist shift in power is that he's been putting furniture together all day long. Oh, uh, I saw that furniture. All the reviews were like, this shit is like horrible to put together, but it's a good price. And I'm like, all right, I got to pull the trigger and get this crap. And now poor Brad is like putting together like furniture for the next few days. Oh, jeez. Is it Ikea? No, it's all from evil Amazon. On. I was in a hurry. I didn't <laughs> care about my soul. I was just like, fuck it, whatever. Fuck it all. Fuck I'm it running out of time. <laughs> I'm just going to take my earphones off and I'm going to run out. Yeah, we'll see you in 10 minutes and we'll talk about Divchina's travels. Cool. Okay. Just enjoy the view of whatever is happening behind me. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Hey, Divchina. Hey, how are you, patients? Good. Long time no talk. I know, but we know how to find you on... Uh... On Telegram? Yeah, on Telegram. You and Ed and me, we're talking on Telegram, and I'm not quite sure what the hell we're talking about half the time, especially when it's with Ed, but, you know, <laughs> he makes it interesting. Oh, we get to see Gigi's dogs. They're watching us. When Gigi's away, the dogs will play in front of the webcam. Hey, Molly. 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 So tell us about your stories. You've been traveling around Utah. Tell us your thoughts about Mormonism in the Mormon heartland. Culture shock from where I'm from, which is not Mormon land. Oh, it's interesting rules on alcohol. And where I'm from, you can get anything you want at a gas station. All right. Here in Utah, there's the state-run liquor store. And then you can get low alcohol level beer at grocery stores and like Walmart. Oh. Where I'm from, the selection, if you go to a grocery store, it's like a whole, like, long aisle of beer. Like, we take this kind of stuff seriously. Right. But then I want to try some local beers. And so there's one that I really like called Salt Flats, and it's an actually a pretty good beer. Now, is this a Utah-made craft beer or something? Yeah, it's a craft beer made in Salt Lake City. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we drive, and I saw this, like, big sign, Salt Flats Brewery. So I'm like, well, my gosh, let's go see if they have a tap room. Right. <laughs> kind of in this industrial area, and there's these big buildings, and there's all these huge LDS production buildings. And back in this corner, it was the brewery, but it wasn't like open. So I checked their website, and there's nothing on the website about like a tasting room or whatever. And then, you know, I dug a little deeper, and I found open hours on Sundays from like 11.30 to 3.30. We went out to this brewery, and it was just my people. And it was just, <laughs> everybody was really nice and chatty. And they weren't Mormon, were they? No, they weren't Mormon. And I was like, no pretensions. And it was really fun. And I'm like, I want to drink what you distill. What can I drink? Show me your Utah wares. <laughs> that was a very different adventure than going into Deseret. You know how there's Christian bookstores? This is like the Mormon bookstore. And how would you rate the difference between a standard Christian bookstore and a Mormon Christian bookstore? Mormons aren't Christians, though. I mean, people can debate that, but in my opinion, Mormons aren't. 
They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in monotheism. They don't believe things that Christians agree on makes what Christianity is. Sure, they're not monotheistic, but they certainly rely on Christ as being their salvation. Kind of. I don't know if Christ is their salvation. I think it's Smith's stuff is the salvation. But I still think that's contingent for them on the fact that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice. So I give them that one, but I can see why you wouldn't. Besides the point, though, Ed reminded me that I had something that didn't have sleeves on it, so I put on a coat to blend in a little bit, right? Walk in, I know there's two ladies in aprons with baskets. <laughs> Welcome! I'm like, hi! Nice to see you! I'm a tourist. I figure if I kind of throw in I'm a tourist, it gives me a little leeway to be different. Alright. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, we'll take a look around. And so, like, I'm looking around at, like, these really expensive, like, statuettes and, like, bronze and that of, like, Joseph Smith and other stuff. And I'm looking at, like, these Noah Art children's toys. And then I go to the section where they have, like, temple garments and that. And some of the embroidery is so beautiful. Is that the temple garments or the temple dresses? Because the garments are usually always the same. I don't know the difference, really. It was just, like, a rack of stuff. <laughs> a rack of stuff? Did you buy anything? Well, no, but I went back to the <laughs> ladies because I'm like, I have to use the bathroom. Oh. And they're like, come follow me. It was almost, like, creepy friendly because it was like, you just have this enthusiasm and I just knew how to put a shot of that in my arm. And, you know, you could, like, sell that in a bottle. And I'm like, thank you. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Those ladies are perky. You know why they're perky? They're all on well trend. I'm telling you, Mormons, they're the nicest people. I mean, because they're so afraid of being unliked. <laughs> to me, she was overboard. It was a little too much. Not in Utah, though. Like, no. in Utah, that's like the standard amount of sugar and saccharin. <laughs> So then I left the restroom, right? All the ladies were just excited. And I say to them, goodbye. And they're like, goodbye. Oh, we hope you have a wonderful and safe time here in Utah. Come back again. Oh, you'll have to go see the temple. Oh, we have this free newspaper. <gasps> then I get out. I get in the car. I sit down next to it. And I'm like, I need a tequila now. <laughs> <laughs> Baptize me in some real spirits, Ed. No! Real spirit. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's a crazy place. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. It really looks pretty. I really want to go and see it one day. The women have a specific Utah accent that I cannot figure out how to explain it. But I've kind of narrowed it down to a few words that I consistently hear pronounced differently than anywhere else. And it's words that end with I and K. Like, I'm not going to the store. I'm going. Ink. Ink blink. I'm going to temple, JJ. They tend to uplift the end of their sentences. Everything is so super positive. It's all about keeping sweet. Actually, in today's Saints 12 that we're going to listen to, one of the clips has a perfect example of this where Sarah Eyring goes, of course, <laughs> in a really delightful sort of cheeky way. And I think that sort of sums up it perfectly. <laughs> Of course. We're driving and there's these huge green elevators and they say LDS Church. Oh, really? <laughs> I've been asking some people of what is this? Storage for the end of days? <laughs> One of the answers I got, well, they process this for charity because there's not soup kitchens here. There is something called the Bishop's Storehouse. Yeah. But my understanding is you go to the Bishop and then you tell them what you need. And if you're all in good standing, the Bishop can decide that you can go to the storehouse and get some goods. I've been asking people, now, is that just for LDS or can anybody get this charity? And what I'm hearing is some people didn't know or they thought it would. And then people have been correcting them and said, no, 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 you have to be LDS. Yeah. 
I've heard both reports too. The charity within the church seems to be very much on its own, where the tradition in a lot of other places, like the Catholic social services, the Lutheran social services, the Jewish social services, they don't care what you are and they're not going to try to convert you. They believe very strongly in people having food storage for the apocalypse or to be prepared in case something happens. So the truth is, is that all of the food that's created by the church is typically for the bishop storehouse. It's not like you could go to the grocery store and buy Mormon tuna. <laughs> Mormon if you fall on hard times and if you are a worthy individual that your particular bishop decides should get food, it really is depending on what bishops you get. I've heard some people say that it's a humiliating experience to go through. They want to know if you've been paying your tithing and you wouldn't be there asking for food if you weren't giving 10% of your money to tithing because God told you to have 25 children. You have a lot of mouths <laughs> to feed now and you can't exactly support yourself. So you rely on the community of Mormons. What that does is it creates a more insular community of reliance upon the church. Look, I pay money to my taxes so that if my husband goes blind and can no longer do his job, that I will not starve in the streets. You know, if I've got kids and I'm not working, there will be some type of government assistance program because we paid our taxes for that. But that's not how it works in the Mormon church. You pay your tithing and you may or may not benefit from that. I've known women in my family and otherwise who have felt more comfortable just going to the government because then you don't have to go to like your bishop who's like your neighborhood plumber. Sometimes he's a contractor, sometimes he's a dentist, sometimes he's a doctor. But it's always a rotating layman. Yeah. In his spare time, he's the bishop and he hooks you up with whatever it is that he thinks you need. Tell us about going to visit James Strang's home. Oh, that's in Boree, Wisconsin. But that was sort of earlier on in this trip because you've been on a trip for a while. The old uh, cemetery is there, Strangite Meeting House. And at the end of Mormon Road, when you turn a little bit, that was to be Strang's house. And there was another house but those two homes, people still live in those homes. It's, I mean, there's no oh. visitor center or anything. But the church is still going, right? Well, yeah, the faith tradition is still there. And then I go into town to the Strangite Church. This is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day, capital D Saints, capital L, capital D, no hyphen. So wait, they still <laughs> actually go by Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they capitalize it differently? And they hyphenate it differently. This is hilarious. I didn't know this. <laughs> She's Googling it now, Diff Chena, you see? You've got her interest. String was supposedly Joseph Smith's successor. Joseph Smith wrote a letter to String to take over after he perished. And while the letter was in transit, Joseph Smith perished. Oh, you're right. They don't capitalize it. I never noticed that. Yes. So the Strangites have the rights to the real deal. Yeah, the grammar, like the way you would expect it to be spelled. Yeah, that's what they have. And so the church door was open. So I kind of walk in. They have Saturday services. Walk on in and I'm like, hi, I'm a tourist because that's my like line. It's a great line. Yeah. Can I look around? And she's like, sure. She's like, why are you here? And I said, well, I learned about James Strang. You know, see what this was all about. Like there was no missionary thing going on with her. She was just huh. like answering my questions, but she didn't push anything. And they don't have a patriarch because Strang was made prophet by an angel. They couldn't keep the prophet line going. And so they don't have a prophet. Like there's about five years that Vori was kind of an active town. It's very small. I said, is this the like headquarters here? And she's like, well, we don't follow that concept. The idea of the Brighamites is that there's a church headquarters in Salt Lake 
like city that governs all the LDS around the world. Yeah. The Stringite tradition, there's not a central governing body. There's different groups, but it's not like the bosses in Zion or whatever that command everything. Interesting. Yeah, because they're like the runner-ups. I mean, obviously Brigham Young really did a good job on leveraging the polygamy into a very large sect of Mormons, but the Stringites, <laughs> they kind of seem like they might have fizzled out there. They did, and String was newer to the church, and Brigham was there from a long time. String had only been around three or four years. So oh, so he hadn't latched on to a following yet. He wasn't in Nauvoo when Joseph Smith died, so... He's just a little offshoot craziness that happened with the Mormons. So there's some legitimacy when you have a Catholic schism that goes back to the 13th century, and people are like, okay, well, you've got these two versions of Catholicism, and nobody really questions these two different offshoots. But with Mormons, because it's a more relatively new religion, our schism is basically only maybe, what, 100 years old? So go back to like our early Mormon fundamentalists who decided that they wanted to have polygamy. You got all these other Mormons that have been twiddling their thumbs for however long they've been Mormon, and everybody's been telling them that polygamy is A-OK, -okay, and in fact, it's the number one way to get into heaven. <laughs> and you got all these guys that have got all these wives, because remember, female labor has value. Oh, for sure. And a man with 10 wives and many children, that's not just mouths to feed at a certain point. At a certain point, that's income. That's money in the bank, that is. Free labor, <laughs> women collaborating to take care of food and housing. Well, and then there's these loopholes where a man, he gets married, they get sealed in the temple, and his wife passes away, so he gets remarried again. Yes. So he can get sealed to this new wife. Now we're not even talking about human labor on earth, we're talking about the value of heavenly wives after you're dead. My dad got married after my mom died to another woman who was sealed in the temple to another man who had died, so I guess in heaven my dad is living next door to his old best friend whose wife that he married after he died. Like, that's what happened in my family. They are going to have the best key parties in heaven, JJ. Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's bizarre. They'd like you to be married. And there was another widow in the ward. I mean, they'd kind of get married again. So I don't know how it works in heaven. I wonder if they have a spiritual one penis policy. Yeah, I don't know. Well, but you know what, though? My dad didn't get sealed in the temple to his second wife. Oh, well, he won't be seeing her in heaven. Yeah, maybe they'll only live nearby. Hold on, I should tell my husband that I've got his sandwich. He's going to be sad because they didn't have any cooking. They're bad for him, JG. Don't buy him cookies, even though I know he wants them. I had like the most disgusting hot dog while I was in my office. The whole office ended up smelling. We all like to eat a wiener sometimes. <laughs> it says we love wieners on the side of the box. Uh, How could you not no. want to eat at the place that says we love wieners? <laughs> so I was like, hell yeah. All right. I want to talk a bit about you and Ed cruising through Utah and you visited this <laughs> statue and you said, oh, I think we found the tip of Brigham Young's penis. And I'm like, hang on, I think that's a beehive. And you're like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> this was just a really weird statue. And I think it was behind a fence or whatever. And we're kind of peering through. Now, Gigi, maybe you can answer this. What is it with the Mormons and the beehive? What is the symbology about? Don't they call one of their groups in church? 
church. Beehives. Yeah, like it is the state symbol. Oh, is it? Yeah. Everywhere you drive, you will see like a white beehive symbol. But I first saw the beehive in Nauvoo, and they explained how they brought the bees from Nauvoo across in their wagons to Utah. Let them out in the morning, and the queen would stay in the hive, and then they would travel by oxen, and then the bees at night would come back in. So you visited Nauvoo as well? Yeah. Oh, wow. What state's that in? Illinois. What stood out to you from Nauvoo? Nauvoo was like Disney World with a little bit of crack. What does that mean? If you can handle the religion stuff, it was a great place because everything is free. And so you get to visit old homes from all these presentations in each of the homes and people are dressed up in old time clothing and they talk about like how they moved the bees across or how they built the wagon wheels. And then you get horse rides. And it's all free. And it's all free. They have different shows. (laughs) And these are like Broadway production pageants and everybody working there, of course, is on mission. In the evening, they had all these little, you know, potato sack races. How boring. I learned how to jig. Jig? Yeah. Can you dance as a jig, Duchina? Well, I learned in Nauvoo because that was Joseph Smith's favorite dance. You're gonna have to get out of your chair to dance the jig, Duchina. I can't believe that he did the jig. He loved to dance. That's at least what they told us. (laughs) And then Community of Christ also owns a bunch of that property. They own Joseph Smith's house and burial site, so there's, they have to play nice for their tours and stuff, but they really don't. And, and how badly do they play, Divchina? Did you notice any animosity there? Well, it's like, and that's by the community of Christ. And if you want to go see that, you can visit their visitor center. Oh, okay. Very sweet. Very sweet, but kind of. It's just like Sarah Eyring. Of course. Of course. And there were all these anti-Mormon protesters. Like, really? You know, this is what Joseph Smith <laughs> believed. And so then they're handing out newspapers and things like that. Wow. So you cross that and then you go to where the pageant is and you sit on your lawn chair. And my friend was reading the paper because it was kind of interesting to see, you know, what people were saying. Mm. The um, <laughs> ushers says, well, that newspaper isn't one of ours. And my friend is like, oh, that's fine. I'll keep it. And she's like, no, but that's not approved. I'll take it. And my friend is like, no, I'll keep the paper. They wanted to take the paper away from you. Because it wasn't approved church literature. And so like... Wow. (laughs) You noticed a huge contrast in Utah going through sort of the outskirts and the more desert areas where it was a lot of poverty. And then you'd come into, I'm guessing, Salt Lake City or one of the bigger areas and there'd be a sudden onset of opulence. I mean, that was really shocking because it's desert. Where I'm from, at least people who are in poverty living in the woods have trees and shade. Here it's just desert rock and hardly anything growing and then you'll see there are people who are squatting or living out there like mobile homes with a tarp like the phone service isn't working and then you go around gosh half a mile it's green and there's trees and like incredible mansions those that were the really the halves in a big divide and then there just seems to be a lot of the have-nots in Salt Lake City too there's a lot of people living on the streets anytime I've gone out driving you see people like with their shopping Parts or their looks like livelihood. You know, they may be in between the sidewalks because that's kind of a public space under the trees or, you know, with belongings and whatnot. So I just didn't expect that. And it's so hot here. Right. And they make the ladies wear sleeves in all of this heat. <laughs> what the fuck? 
You know, you may not see a lot of homeless in some states. It just means that maybe they just take all their homeless and they put them in jail or they put them on buses to a town like San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So now because all the homeless people in Detroit got a free bus pass to San Francisco where it doesn't snow and where they won't die on the streets if they're there over the winter time. Yeah, San Francisco's got a homeless problem. That doesn't mean that the people in San Francisco don't care about homeless people. They care a lot, but that's why you see them there because they're trying to provide services. And it's a place where those people live on the streets with their cell phones in a very, very comfortable manner and earn more than they could in a minimum wage job. And not die in winter. I mean, it's such a weird and varied problem that we have in America. I bet some people are homeless just because they're staunch libertarians. <laughs> if you're a young person who has a healthy body and a big fuck you attitude towards the government and their bills and their taxes, and you've got a tent and a cell phone and a solar powered whatnot, go get in your van and live with nomad life or do it however you want to do it on the street. Uh. It can be dangerous. I wouldn't recommend it. Go and do it in a van. <laughs> you know, there's more than one way to live a life. And, and I'll tell you, the corporate bullshit America that we've built around us is not the best for community. It's not the best for people's souls. Absolutely. I agree. The community isn't the best for community either. Just look at the Mormons. People are still social <laughs> animals. Uh-huh. It's a conundrum. It's like you can't live with people and you can't live without them. Right. One thing that was interesting to me compared to where I'm from, the amount of fences. It seems like every yard is fenced. Oh, is that to keep their wives in? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, if you really want the answer, I can tell you. Yes, tell us, JJ. Depending on which state you are in. In America, <laughs> we have laws that are fence in or fence out laws for livestock. Oh. If you are to drive through certain areas of America and hit a cow, the cow owner pays you for the damages to your car. But in certain areas of America, if you are to hit a cow with your car, then you owe the cow owner the cost of the cow. In Texas, where the laws are fence out laws, I don't have a duty to put my cow in a fence. You have a duty not to hit my cow. So these laws that are created that have backgrounds in livestock can make a difference over time what the culture is on fences. Now, if you look at Utah, when they designed Salt Lake City, they designed it on a grid. So like it's a very planned out place. To me, it's bizarre because I don't like going to a town and the address is one zero. 8365 East on 12947 South Boulevard. So it's not like you're pulling up to like Johnson Drive or Sunset Avenue. I pity the U.S. Postal Service on that one. They get used to it. When Joseph Smith designed these blocks, they're huge. Yeah. And because he expected you'd have like your orchard. And a horse and buggy. What I imagine happened is now these big blocks are now cut up. The way the blocks are set up is really interesting because there's these little Little, like roads or long driveways that kind of go in behind a bunch of houses to other houses. These may not be streets. They may be private drives. So yeah, have you heard about how sometimes the polygamists will have a large number of houses one after the other and all the backyards will connect? Oh, that's from Big Love. I saw that show. But it's true. <laughs> it's true. The other thing is, okay, so this is so funny. So some girls in my office, they tried to watch the newest Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. They said it was so boring. Are they all 
Beautiful Moments? I don't know. I'd have to Google it. I try not to watch that shit. I was watching this stuff when I was at a low point in my life, okay? I'm going to admit it. I was watching The Real Housewives of all the cities, all of the freaking Real Housewives. So that was six months ago, was it, JJ? No, no. This is a mile ago. It was when I was living apart from Brad because we separated for an entire year of our marriage. Not by choice, but because he was doing his medical residency in Texas and I didn't have a bar license in Texas. Were you afraid to see other people while you were apart? Yeah, I saw my roommate. She was a 76-year-old woman who always showed me her left breast whenever she would come and say good morning to me. Oh, how erotic. She had this robe that would always kind of like reveal one breast. Oh and I was renting a room from her and I was so depressed. And then I like basically run into my room and go watch really bad TV just to escape. Well, you seem to be doing truly well for yourself lately. Look at how you dress today. You've got the Cruella de Vil stripe through your hair. I and you've had got the a blazer you yeah. look so professional professional oh, professional woman if i were a jury i would uh tell me what i would do <laughs> yes whatever the lady in the blue blazer says oh right the talking heads on <laughs> this week's episodes of saints which is saints 12 as usual we've got ben godfrey and we have sarah iring joining us again i love to hear her you know i kind of have a little bit of a crush on sarah iring's voice of course. If I could get her on this podcast, that would be great. Sarah Iring, darling, if you're listening, come on, be on our podcast. Uh, I want to get to know you, um, I think. <laughs> um, also, they have with them PhD historian Jenny Reader from the Church History Library. They made a mistake in the episode where they played the one clip twice and they didn't even notice it. I don't know if it was inserted later, but they just kept talking like it was Novel. <laughs> it was right at the beginning. Yeah, I thought there was a problem with my phone. Uh-huh. Like their comments on it were different. <laughs> it's like they weren't even listening. The first little bit I want to talk about is Joseph the Party Pooper. Everyone's been getting the gifts of the spirit and having a good time rolling around and acting like monkeys or whatever. But they sounded like they were happy, right? But Joseph was like, oh, no, they can't do this. We can't have the women being this happy. Joseph loved the gifts of the spirit himself and knew they had a role in the restored church. But he worried that some saints in Kirtland were getting carried away in their pursuit of them. The Kirtland saints had more than doubled the size of the church, but it was clear they needed additional direction from the Lord. What was going on that Joseph needed to correct? We sort of have all these exciting, charismatic gifts happening. We have people speaking in tongues. We have the man acting like a baboon, the woman who shook like the shakers. When the Kirtland Temple is dedicated a few years later, they also experience this manifestation of the Spirit. Again, Joseph teaches the women years later in Nauvoo, in the Nauvoo Relief Society, that they also have to have order in this use of spiritual gifts. Ah, oh, shit. In my family, whenever we would talk about other religions, we would always point out, like, how civilized our church was. When you go to those three hours of total boredom, I would have <laughs> given anything to watch somebody just start jumping up and down and speaking in tongues. Oh. I would have thrown money at it. I would have been like, <laughs> hell yeah, like, let's have more of this in the church. This is more exciting and interesting. Mm. And the fact that this is part of the church history makes me feel kind of snarky the way he wants to have a good time and that is funny underwear 
Don't keep right. people into big baptism. And now here's one that you probably haven't heard about, which I think is hilarious. Okay. Uh-huh. Have you heard about the handkerchief thing? Tell me more, JJ. When they open up a new temple, there is one way you're allowed to celebrate. They sell white Mormon special handkerchiefs. Move them around in the air. Like just I like just no don't care. <laughs> And they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's a big celebration huh. when you can really let loose. And they hyped it up like a big deal. And then they did it. And I was like, it's a bunch of old white guys with handkerchiefs. Why the hanky? It sounds so wanky. I'm gonna the copy wanky this. hanky. It's the wanky hanky. That's right. I'm going to send this to you because it's just so lame. Mormons being lame. You're shitting me, JJ. Just so much double speak. It's like, oh, we're getting the gifts of the spirit. Oh, no, now they're getting too much gift of the spirit. Right? Not that kind of <laughs> gift. You're getting too much communication with God directly. Directly, because isn't that a tenant of Mormonism? So now God's speaking to you, but now God's speaking to you a little too much. Right? And what if God really is telling me to roll around on the ground and speak in tongues? Who is he to say that I can't do that? The gift of the spirit or the gift of the spirits? (laughs) (laughs) Must have been having a lot of fun in the Navi Relief Society, I think. Too much fun. He's like, no, the women can't have fun. So the next one is a fraudster invents communism. Who'd have thunk it? I mean, everyone. (laughs) I thought it was Brigham Young that invented it from the Mormon point of view, but no, Smitty invented it before Brigham Young. Remember when he said, what's his name? Don't covet your own riches. I know, right? Oh God, that's just so wrong. It's like, don't covet your own property, your own house, your own farm. Don't covet that. Give it to me. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, he's the one coveting it and Uh he wants your money Uh and he wants you to give it to him. Let's go back to uh, to Kirtland for a moment, <laughs> or some of them anyway, are living in a way that they're sharing resources. <laughs> Saints who chose to obey the law were to consecrate their property to the church by deeding it to the bishop. He would then return land and goods to them as an inheritance in Zion, according to the needs of their families. <laughs> Joseph Smith has asked Edward Partridge to sort of direct the efforts, to gather together the resources that the members of the church had, to spread them out, to make them a little more equal, and also to use those resources to purchase land in Missouri. Isn't that just a kicker right there at the end? To spread things out and make it more equal for everyone. Oh, and also to purchase land in Missouri. (laughs) I think there's some big fear in this getting out because it's way too socialist, communist, Marxist for anyone to grasp, especially conservative, self-sufficient Mormonism. I had to do a little research on this and it goes back actually to the Acts of the Apostles where they sold off everything, combined it, and then gave each to according to their need. It does sound a lot like some of the things in the New Testament. There's some pure Jesus shit. <laughs> the idea of communal wealth to help everybody out is a nice idea, but I really personally wouldn't trust deeding my property over to a man who then promises to give me back when I need. Right, that's taking it too far. Because once somebody else has control over that wealth, they get to decide when I need it. And it goes back to the problem of tithing, and it's the same as government. It is, isn't it? It taxes me so that we as a group can have traffic lights, fire departments, civil engineering shit. Like, 
dams, not just defense. You know, there's like books and roads and schools and things that need to be done. And I can vote those people in and out. But what do I do when I've given that power to a church who is run by an ecclesiastical master, some God and the men that decide whatever? Like, I don't have any control now. I can't vote that guy out. He can run away with all my money. Uh-huh. That's a problem. Yeah. Isn't that what has been happening in some of the splinter groups? Yes. Very good point. The way that you protect money in America and the way that you protect the assets and the way that you do all kinds of interesting things is you create a business or a church. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think there's a corporation, there's an entity somewhere. Yes. But you do have these splinter groups that if they decided they don't like one guy in town, they take away his wives. Mm. And now he's out of town. Mm-hmm. And they've got all of his money now. That's where you have all these lost boys that because they don't have enough women to share around, you reach a certain age as a boy and if they want to find a reason to kick you out because they don't have enough women to keep sharing, they'll find a reason to kick you out. And then maybe you lose your wife, so now you don't need a big house. It snowballs, right? Yeah. Yeah, like there are stories of men in these FLDS, Fundamentalist Church, who so much of their financial freedom is intertwined with the church or other people in the church. If they do get kicked out, they can tell your wives, that's no longer your husband. You need to disfellowship your husband or your mother or whoever it is they decide Mm. or your son. And then that person now has no assets and needs to find some other place in Utah to live. What Joseph Smith is advocating in that clip that we just listened to, that sets up a lot of people for a lot of scary situations when you're giving all the power and all your wealth to somebody else to control it. Personally, I would not do that. Right. This reminds me of Krakauer's book, Under the Banner of Heaven, where he talks about, really, within Mormonism, there's not personal responsibility because it's all deemed by what is being told by the individual from God directly. And then there's the hierarchy. So if the God tells the prophet this... That's then God telling the prophet this. The individuals that he's telling the story about where God told them to murder this two individuals, they're not making the choice to murder them. God is making the choice to murder them. Therefore, they have no personal responsibility. They are personally, with their conscience, not guilty. And so you have these battles of people of like, oh, um, patience, God told me that I'm supposed to kill you, so please be obedient. Please be obedient and kill yourself. (laughs) Separating personal responsibility. Religion does that for everyone, though. I mean, why do you think Salvin Rush just got stabbed? Oh, I know. Right. Think that guy thinks he did anything wrong? He doesn't think he did anything wrong. He thinks he's fighting a jihad for God. I've called this next one Mormons Love Cat Fights and Miracles because they do. Time and time again on this Saints show, whenever it comes up about women having a disagreement or something, they love it. Like, ah, this is great. Also, they just love stories of miracles, even when they aren't miracles. Can I have a miracle? Make it worth it, right? Right. Right? Raise someone from the dead for fuck's sake. (laughs) What's happening back in New York? We we have... The earliest members of the church, Joseph's longest supporters. There are two main branches of the church in New York, the Colesville Saints and the Fayette Saints. And Joseph has asked them to gather to the Ohio. Lucy Mack Smith leads the saints from Fayette. There are about 80 of them. There are capable men in the company, but none of them want to lead this group. Was everything wonderful for Lucy and her traveling group? Of course. (laughs) Of course. Oh, Sarah Eyring, marry me. No, I think it may have been like herding cats. 
She dealt with a lot of women complaining. They wanted to stay on their rocking chairs on their porches at home. She dealt with people that weren't prepared with the proper resources and food. But she also notes that the children were unruly, that they were little hooligan kids running around like crazy and that the parents weren't taking control of them. The arguments grew heated and attracted the attention of onlookers. Worried the saints were making a spectacle of themselves, Lucy confronted them. If you will all of you raise your desires to heaven, that the ice may be broken up and we be set at liberty, as sure as the Lord lives, it will be done. At that moment, Lucy heard a noise like bursting thunder as the ice in the harbor split wide enough for the boat to steam through. Ice tends to break when it gets warm. It had to break sometime. <laughs> I guess the weather ultimately is God. If you just believe everything is God and everything is a miracle, that's a miracle. This wasn't a story I was familiar with in my growing up as Mormon. This is like one of these offshoot mm-hmm. stories that's kind of apocryphal. <laughs> these are not things that we learned in church. I think a lot of this is apocryphal. <laughs> Here's the thing. The Book of Mormon itself can be a little bit anticlimactic when you get through it and you realize like, hmm, this is what all this church is about. So reading about the saints. It's way more interesting. Right? Why do you think the Catholics have so many saints themselves? Right. Jesus is too busy for you? Go talk to Mary. Mary is too busy for you? Go talk to John the Baptist. Oh, you think you've got a real problem? Go talk to your own special saint that we gave you because God does not want to listen. (laughs) Mormons, you know, we would like to have some things like that too. So all of these little stories are good for the soul, I suppose, if you're Mormon. You need something to glom on to. That mythology of a faith tradition is what really captivates the follower. Because we all know that the underwear is hot and chafes. So <laughs> give us something else to pay attention to because the underwear is not a high point. Drink whenever Gigi mentions the underwear. That's the book of bottom drinking game. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a big deal breaker to me when God starts telling me what to wear on my lady parts. I'd be disappointed if you didn't bring it up, Gigi. The men didn't want to lead this. They knew this was going to be a shit show. And because they had the power to, they had the power to abdicate those little fuckers because they knew it was going to be difficult. But that's a power play in and of itself. It's only privilege that can say no. Exactly. And how supportive do you think they were? Yeah, what are the men doing? Shouldn't they be controlling the kids? It's their seed, right? (laughs) <laughs> Why are the children running around unruly? Where are the men? It's kind of like when the bathrooms are dirty, my husband somehow doesn't see the problem. And if you don't see the problem, it means it's never going to get cleaned ever unless I am the one that does it. Oh, Brad. All these Mormon men are just like, oh, the children are running around. We don't hear it. We've tuned it out. Next little thing I want to talk about. <laughs> A prophetic moment that really wasn't that prophetic and not that miraculous at all. So it kind of leads on from what we've been talking about. Thomas Marsh is going to be making his way from New York down to to, to the Ohio. He wrote a letter. The Lord calleth for all to repent, he declared, and assemble at Ohio speedily. He did not know if the saints were going to Ohio to build Zion or if they were preparing for a more ambitious move in the future. But it did not matter. If the Lord commanded them to gather to Missouri or even to the Rocky Mountains a thousand miles beyond the nation's western border, he was ready to go. Where did this come from? Because it just seems a little too convenient that here they are in Ohio, and we know that they're not going to stay in Ohio. They're not going to stay in Missouri. They're going to come all the way west of the Rocky Mountains. How in the world would Thomas Marsh have known that? 
if you actually go to the sources and that letter that Thomas wrote, he does say specifically that he will, will do whatever it takes, whether that be, he says, to take our march to the Grand Prairies in the Missouri Territory or the Shining Mountains, 1,500 or 2,000 miles west from us, we do not know. So we know that that was on his mind from the very beginning. That Those were his words. It's really pretty incredible. I just think that's a very generic thing to say. Like, I don't think many Americans had explored out where he was talking at the time, right? Like, And the Rocky Mountains is pretty big. So if you're going to say, I will go to the ends of the earth. That's what he's really saying, right? Well, I'm going to go as far as the mountains, the equivalent of the ends of the earth. Right. They're not talking about, we're going to go to the Salt Lake Valley. <laughs> no. And we're going to build a temple there. It's kind of sad <laughs> that these people are taking something so generic and trying to make it fit into something much more miraculous than it is because it's really not. I'm going to use an Australianism. It's like, even if Joseph sends us to beyond the black stump, I'll beyond go there. Beyond the black stump? Exactly. That's, that's what he's saying. Why beyond the black stump? Where does that come from? It just means in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. <laughs> or outback of Burke. That's another one. Outback of Burke. Burke is an actual town in New South Wales, but if you say outback of Burke, it means you're going into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> All right, so the last topic I want to talk about in Saints today, I've called polyaneurysm. <laughs> I didn't make it up. One of my favourite musicians had a song called Polyaneurysm, which is all about polyamory doing his head in. He's not against it, it's just doing his head in. But I mean, really, polygamy is doing everyone's head in except Joseph. I'm sorry, who wants to deal with that kind of drama? Mm-hmm. Right, it's very complicated. In this chapter, we learn for the first time that Joseph <laughs> learns about plural marriage. And that idea enters his mind of this, this thing that we would call polygamy. <laughs> in Joseph's mind or in his prayers to Heavenly Father is, I think, a concern that there, it seems sort of not totally um, in line with what he knows about marriage. <laughs> but it's totally in line with what he wants in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> and he worries, how could these prophets of old, who of course were connected to heaven and, and in no way, um, you, you know, sinning, how could they also have been having plural marriage and, and multiple wives? And I think that that concerns him. So initially he receives this answer that a full restoration of the church requires the restoration of this practice. Yeah, what happened to that proclamation? Just like the bishop, this is something that develops and unfolds over time. And here in Kirtland, we're just seeing the very beginning of it. I think it takes Joseph a really long time to wrap his brain around it. His brain that is so situated in 19th century America and the concept there of family and marriage. We'll see it how it expands throughout Nauvoo and through Utah as well. <laughs> do you notice how little they actually use the word? They do not want to bring attention to this. They're addressing it because they have to. That's really interesting, Gigi, because when Sarah Eyring was doing her little blurb, she was stumbling over her words, and normally she's quite eloquent. You can see how awkward a lot of these topics make some of these commentators, not just on this recording, but like on previous recordings as well. The only reason they do not currently advocate for polygamy in the Mormon church as we know it today is because in order to become a state, the territory of Utah had to abide by the laws of the United States. And one of the laws was that 
polygamy is outlawed. Now, in practice, a lot of these people didn't stop what they were doing at all. <laughs> now we have a situation where the court has given so much power to the churches to do whatever they want, not just in regards to money, but what they can say out of pulpit. And we have a lot of different states deciding what they think that marriage should be. If somewhere along the line, the judge decides that polygamy is a-okay, now you have a situation where, let's say I'm a part of the main Mormon church, and my husband comes to me and says, Gigi, remember how we got married in the temple? And I say, yes, my love. It was the best day of my underwear life. <laughs> I'll never look back to those Victoria's Secret push-up bras again. I think these are the sexiest things I've ever worn. <laughs> and he's going to say, well, I'm glad you agree because I'd like to have five more wives in those underwears. You can all share underwear. Wouldn't that be fun? You're going to have some help in the house. You're always complaining how you like being an attorney, but you don't like doing the dishes. Well, I got a 16-year-old girl that wants to get married to me because that's legal in Georgia. So me and Katie Sue are going to go to Georgia and get married and come back to Utah. And now we've got a polygamous family of women ranging in age from 16 to 45. And I can't have children anymore, but Kelly Sue can. So Gigi, God wants us to have a polygamous marriage. And the state of Utah is not making it illegal. Now let's find out why the church is not letting us do it. If I go to the prophet and say, prophet, you've never repudiated the position that polygamy, as Joseph Smith said, is required to get to heaven. You just heard the lady on the podcast say that this was required of him. They won't say it. They say this or it. No. <laughs> Fucking more than one woman in a relationship and having a polyamorous relationship that you have now legitimized by marriage. Yeah, there's not a lot of amory really in it, is it? It's more just gimme. Yeah, and it's only women to men. No more. I can't have more than one husband. I can't go to my husband, Brad, and say, Brad, uh. you know, uh, you're getting a little bit older and sex isn't quite as exciting anymore. And I can't have kids, but I can still have sex. That's right. Uh, I'd like five more husbands, please. I'm not dead, Brad. Mm -hmm. I, you're too busy. You work too many hours. I'd like it seven days a week now. You've put on too much weight, Brad. And I want somebody that cleans toilets. And I met this guy. And he's always hard, Brad. He's about 15 <laughs> years younger than him and he cleans the pools. Right? I mean, he's never tired. <laughs> it doesn't go that way. So let's just think about this in the future, this imaginary world where polygamy is now legal. And now you have a bunch of men, maybe just a few, maybe not all of them. In the beginning, it's just to be one or two who falls in love with a widow, who needs a husband in the ward. And he goes to his wife, look, your best friend, Jennifer, just lost her husband. That's all fuck. She is banging. <laughs> oh, no, no. The conversation would be much more pure. Right. Because we are a purity culture. So pure. It would be a vow with God. If polygamy becomes a recognized form of relationship in America that we must recognize, just like we should with gay marriage, straight marriage, Marriage to five people, if you are consenting adults, do whatever you want. We might have to have some rules about taxes and rights and who pays what. I've got a simpler way of sorting out. You just got to delegalize marriage. Have no marriage and go and have your relationships as you deem fit. I agree with you, patience. Okay. Marriage is a very simple way of creating... <laughs> a relationship that has a number of legal rights. Now he can visit me in the hospital and he can make decisions for me if I have a coma. Now, if I die, he, my property can get transferred to him without a will. We acquire 
property. We dissolve property. Mm -hmm. We create agreements between the two of us and third parties. Credit card with both of our names on it is a joint relationship with the third party. As a cisgendered woman in America, and privileged with those rights. So I think that everybody should be able to get that very easily with another person, at least one. And if you have more than one person, well, then it gets complicated because if somebody's in a coma, then you have two people voting on. All right. That's the only reason why sometimes you might want to have a primary decision maker. A head wife. <laughs> marriage has become the marriage industrial complex in the U.S. where enticing people to be married and create this contract, mm -hmm. people are not educated before they make this type of contract. Uh, so I think we do need some type of marriage reform in the U.S. because I think it's very much become a legal piece. I mean, there has to be some way for everybody to have access easily to those rights that I get very easily. Without it involving marriage itself. Yeah. Taking away everybody's right to marriage if you don't fit into a certain box because we don't want to deal with those legal issues is not the answer either. Interesting. I was once Republican and I was once against gay marriage. I'm against all marriage. <laughs> and it goes, it's the same thing, either everybody or nobody, right? I just think everything you can do with marriage, you can do through legal agreements. It might be complicated. But let's just say if tomorrow marriage wasn't a thing anymore, the lawyers would figure it out. Okay, well, let me ask you, patients, if you were at home tomorrow, who has the rights to decide your uh, medical decisions? My mother. And how did she get that right? Did you put it in a piece of paper? I think I did. In the rest of the world, if you don't have a piece of paper, then it goes by statute, depending on the state. Typically, that says the next of kin. And if that can't be found, then a social worker. Mm. Like, yeah, there's a lot of different things that you could do without the marriage contract, and especially people that are single. There's everything you can do without it, I think. Yeah. I have friends that are never getting married and they've done all the paperwork. As much as marriage in the U.S. provides benefits, there's also penalization, both in marriage I mean, or for people who are not married. And I think if there was something that covered those contracts, but we re-envisioned what marriage was without the privilege and the penalties. And I don't think it's anything you'll ever abolish. It's too deeply rooted in the culture. <laughs> Maybe. If you told me that we were going to make it so that marriage doesn't exist, I'd be like, well, then somebody else write up the freaking paperwork for me because <laughs> I don't want to hire the attorney. Like, and I am an attorney. I say keep marriage just in the religious context. Right. Yeah. But not in the legal context. But can you do that when a doctor has to know who to talk to to pull you off of the machine or whether or not to give you some kind of life-saving procedure or what to do with your things when you die? Oh, I mean, I fill in the blank forms free on the internet from my state that you don't need an attorney for. You just, you get notarized. Yeah, but nobody does that in the emergency room. No, you do it before. Not everyone thinks ahead, though. Yeah, people don't. We see it all the time. I love this conversation. I've said my opinion, but I also see where you're coming from, Gigi. Thank you so much for both joining me today. It's been a delight as usual. Um, you both look healthy and happy, and that's so wonderful. I'm surviving the job. I don't go to work anymore. I go to fun. You go to fun. Yay. Well, I'm off to the beautician. See you later. <laughs> I guess this is my new normal.